This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Another week, another pair of wins for Manchester City and it's now just one defeat in 19 games for Pep Guardiola's side and better than that, they've won all 18 of the others. How's that for form heading into the final couple of months of the season? On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be looking over the talking points from the wins against Watford and Schalke. Why did VAR make a 7-0 win so infuriating and when is offside not offside? Answers on a postcard. It's also finally time to address the media agenda too as we look at how the rumours that Guardiola would be managing Juventus next season managed to get blown out of all proportion. And there's an FA Cup quarterfinal to preview as City head to South Wales to face Swansea on Saturday evening. I'm David Mooney and to help me dissect the talking points of the week I'm joined by City fan and blogger Richard Burns. Good evening. And one football's Dan Burke. Good evening. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's been an eventful week. Uh, we'll start with the offside on the on the Watford game. We could take a nice easy topic to uh, to kick us off. Uh, Richard, we talked at length last week about changing the offside law. Um, obviously, somebody must have been listening to us because now it, it looks like it really needs to be mm-hmm. done. Um, just talk me through what happened. Well, I I'm still unsure. Like <laughs> Sterling is by any by any sensible judgment he is offside isn't he because he's way way in front of the last man at the point that the ball is played by Aguero he has so he has to be offside I uh, I'm still not really any the wiser as to what the referee's conversation with his linesman was what the referee has seen that was so strong in his mind that allowed him to overrule the linesman who clearly had the best view of the line um so I don't know. In terms of, you know, I can tell you what physically happened, but where the decision came from, uh, I I don't feel particularly enlightened any more than I did on the day watching it happen, to be honest. Um, I'm glad it did happen. It's nice to get a bit of luck, but um, it was it was extraordinary. And the delay, I mean, Watford lost their heads a bit, didn't they? But the, the delay in getting it done was, um, it was insane. It's a long time since I've seen something like that. Dan, can you shed any light for us? Because I'm I'm equally as baffled. Uh, well, yeah, he was offside, basically. I don't understand why the goal was given at all. I, I, I've got the actual laws of the game in front of me here. And apparently, according to that, an offside offence occurs when an offside player is challenging the opponent for the ball or clearly attempting to play a ball which is close when this action impacts on an opponent. So textbook offside as far as I'm concerned. I don't, I don't really know what the, uh, what the decision was made there. I mean, you know, the defender has played the ball off him, but... You know, like like Richard said, when when the ball comes down off Aguero, Sterling's clearly in an offside position. So at that point, the linesman was absolutely right to put his flag up, and um, and yeah, it's it was a bad decision as far as I'm concerned. I mean, could he could he honestly have ruled that it's a new phase of play? That's that was my only um, and to be honest, I don't even feel confident enough saying it because I'm I'm not sure whether it could be. That was I mean, my only query whether the defender touching it is what changes it and does make it a new phase at the point that... Because now, you know, they've done this for years. They now wait until the incident develops, don't they, to put the flag up. So whether the defender... Forgive the the um, overly formal language, I suppose, but the defender sort of interacting with the ball before <laughs> Sterling gets the chance to. I don't know how else to term it, touching the ball, but, you know, before the defender gets involved, um, if he just lets it run... Does the offside stand? I suppose that's the, the, it's the only point of debate I can imagine the referee having with the linesman in which the referee, I don't want to go all Dean Saunders and imagine the conversation, but whether the referee says to the linesman, look, are you sure he was in an offside position? Do you know if the defender touched the ball? Because I know that he did. Do you know what I mean? I can't... I, yeah, but as, as Dan said when he when he read the rule out there, or the, the law out there, if effectively challenging for the ball. Sterling wasn't, he, he wasn't just kind of in an offside position somewhere else on the pitch yeah, no, and then I, the ball's bounced towards him after th- three or four seconds. It's it's milliseconds. I completely it's, agree. It, I'm I'd just like, thinking from yeah, what yeah. the referee has decided. That's the It's the only conversation I can imagine that there was at any point for debate. But no, I still agree with you. It's, it's a crazy application of the law if that's what they've decided. It's... Now, Guardiola apologised for it afterwards, which, um, you know, it was put to him, basically, that it was the opening goal that changed the game. Uh, but, Dan, he said that, that that City won because they were better, not because they got an offside goal before uh, as the first goal. I mean, he's got a point, hasn't he? 
Yeah, I mean, on the balance of place, City deserved to win the game. I think, you know, they, they struggled to create too many openings in the first half. But, um, you know, if David Silva heads that one home, which he probably should have done, then there's the opening goal and they, they probably win the game from that point as well. Um, you know, goals change games. Of course, they do. The first goal is so important, and as the, um, the old cliche goes. But it's just, you know, I think... If I was if I was a Watford fan, I wouldn't have too many complaints about the result in the end. You know that that was, uh, decision hasn't really changed the result of the game. And you know it came what was it fifty two minutes something like that the first goal. So and that was a lot know, earlier. It was, it was a lot earlier. That was it was, was second, it it was that, seconds yeah. after half time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you know there was there was a whole half of football for them for them to correct it and and they didn't did they? So fair result as far as I'm concerned. To me, both points are true. City won because they were by far the superior team, but they got the breakthrough through a great slice of luck. If that doesn't go in... No, well, then... I want black and white on this. <laughs> you, you, you can't have both. Um, but, you know, if it doesn't go in, you don't know how much longer we might get frustrated for because, yes, they did create chances, but it wasn't exactly free-flowing or swashbuckling City at their absolute best, was it? So... You never know. It might start to feel a bit like the West Ham game that required a penalty and we couldn't score from open play. You never know how those bits will look. And that, and that I mean, that's literally true. We will never know what happens if, if that gets called differently. Um, but both points are, are true. City were clearly, clearly the better team. Um, I think where Watford would have more of an argument that it changed the game was that it did affect the mentality. They did what Burnley did when we got a fortuitous decision against them early in the season. The Reds went and we were able to create... OK, it was a good goal, but... Watford will see it as too easy. City's second goal. Sterling shouldn't be so free, practically stood on the goal line. Um, it, but yeah, it allowed us to, to really sort Just of hammer that advantage home. And that's, to be fair to say, it's exactly what they did. It was, a, it, it was a very, very comfortable win from that point. Dan Guardiola also said that at the start of the season, City had uh, voted for VAR in the Premier League and the, uh, and the rest of the Premier League had uh, collectively decided that it wasn't, uh, wasn't to be implemented this year. It is in the Champions League, though, and we saw it quite extensively on, uh, on Tuesday night. It's, it's kind of a sign of the times that two great wins have been overshadowed by either the laws of the game or technology involved, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been sort of uh, hugely in favour of, of VAR since it was talked about. I thought it worked really well at the World Cup. Um, but that was the first sort of game that I've watched um, where I thought, oh, hang on, I'm not sure about this, actually. I'm not sure whether this is actually adding anything to the game, whether it's just causing more problems. You know, the amount of time that was taken um, for some of those reviews was just... I don't have a huge problem with the game being stopped. I just don't understand why it's taking them so long. Um, you know, I, I saw um, Gaz, uh, who often comes on the show, tweeted um, a few days ago that you sort, you know, you sort of the, the show, we're, we're able to see replays watching the game on TV very quickly, and you can you can work out in about three seconds whether it's an offside or not, or a foul or not. So what what is taking them so long? Who is looking at this this stuff? Who is um, making these decisions in the VAR control room or whatever? It, it just I, I just don't understand what the delay is for. I mean, it was about three or four minutes, wasn't it, for that first goal? It was, um, it was deft. I mean, I, the, the thing is, I remember, I, I, was, I wasn't I was sat in my usual seat for the uh, for the Schalke game. I was up in the third tier. And so I got, when you're up in the third tier, you get a much better view of what's offside and what's not offside because you've got a much, much easier view of the pitch. And, I, I, you know, the weird thing is, the Sane goal that was ruled out looked miles onside to me. And I was at that end of the game, uh, uh, mm. at the pitch. And the Sterling one that was given, that was originally flagged, that was overturned and, and then given as a goal, that one looked offside. So, mm. for me in the stadium, I'd, I'd made peace with that one not being given because I thought, oh, he's, you know, he's miles offside, it's, it's clear. And then we had the, the VAR review, the, the thing is up on the screen to say, you know, VAR's being used. And it the problem, I think, comes from these offsides because because they're treating offside as a black and white decision. They put the lines up on the screen and say, you know, any part of the body you can score with beyond the last defender is offside. And I just don't feel like that's what the spirit of the offside law is. The, the, the offside law is there basically to stop you standing next to the goal and, and sticking it in when the other team's pushing up on the halfway line. So uh, there needs to be some sort of... Yeah, you can say that offside is black and white, but you know the way people run, the way they lean, the way that that arms and legs are when you you know you're in those positions, it's never going to be easy to just just make a snap decision, is it? No, yeah, I mean I, I agree. I think they need to sort of work on simplifying the offside law a bit, and you know going back to the Watford game for a little bit, 
you know, if Paul Turney had had the benefit of a replay then, would he actually have made a different decision? Like, I, I don't know if he would. I think he's sort of seen that instant and gone, oh, here's an opportunity for me to apply a very obscure version of the law um, that, that only I know about. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, yeah, it just sort of felt like he was like gagging to sort of, oh, actually, well, I've seen this touch and therefore technically he's not offside, but based on my interpretation of the law. So, like, you know, people have, have been saying about the offside rule recently, whether they should... Um, go back to the sort of old way of it being daylight between players um, before you're offside and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I'd be broadly in favour of that, the way things are at the moment, because I just think it's it's too much, it's too open to interpretation. That's the problem. Richard, was your frustration the time it took? I was also, part of it for me was through um, a conversation with my dad who sat next to me, that it's not clear even like I thought I had a, a decent handle on the rules there's obviously been slightly different rules around the World Cup around how it's been implemented in the domestic cups and around how it's been implemented in the Champions League and um, you know the, there's slight differences but I was trying to say you know my dad was saying after I can't even remember which goal it was now but why have they all been reviewed and I was trying to say well they haven't all been reviewed the only ones that have been officially VAR reviewed are the ones where it's come up on the screen which at that point I think was two incidents but then one of them had taken a little bit longer because don't all goals automatically get all goals, checked all goals do get checked before but... they decide if it's going for an official review for the ref to check it or to get the official word in his ear and I thought when I was trying to explain it to my dad bless him I was getting a bit frustrated trying to explain it because I thought what's he not getting and the more, the more I spoke I realised hang on I've not got a great handle <laughs> on this either and you know I can't be the only one I don't think I'm a you know I, th- I think I'm alright at taking in information understanding new rules and I, I I found I find it convoluted. I've said on the show before I am, and nothing has changed my mind on this. I am massively in favour of VAR because, um, it's sort of using the same point that Dan's just used, like Gaz's point. Anybody can pull out the phone and know whether it be by reading a, a sports update or seeing a sharing of the video itself or getting a text off your mate on WhatsApp telling you their view of it from what they've seen on the replays, you know instantly whether the officials have made a mistake and you are left with three people in the stadium who have the ability to influence that decision are the only ones who don't know. And So, so, so should it go on the big screen? Um, I don't know about that. I don't know about that because there are... What's the difference between putting it on the big screen and checking your phone? Um, the screen's bigger. Well... <laughs> 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 All right, yeah. Um, although, you know, the way some phones are going. Um, I don't know. I'm quite happy knowing that it's just it's still down to the referee's interpretation because some things, still, some things are still down to the referee's knowledge of the rules. Not every fan understands, um, understands the rules exactly. There are still things that aren't necessarily... I think a lot of fans la- would argue not a lot of referees understand well, the, it, the laws exactly. But There you know. are some things that are not necessarily black and white. I think. And so take, for example, the handball incident recently. The referees are applying those as directed. So they are, I think there's been a um, IFAB have, have cleared up today that anything that can affect a game that it uses the hand should be given as a handball. I think it, the wording's along those lines. You put that up in a stadium and, you know, if you, you put the, the United one that they got in Paris, you put that up in the stadium and you're going to have bloody riots uh, the fans seeing that being given but actually the decision's correct so the ref according to the rules that the referees are meant to interpret so that's why you shouldn't put it on a big screen because well, you, it would cause more harm you but, heard it here first folks Richard Burns blames the fans for VAR not working um, I wanted to I wanted, I wanted to move on and talk about um, actual football rather than the rather than the decisions of the technology because Raheem Sterling deserves uh, a, a good segment of this week's show um, a second career hat trick. Uh, both of them come for City. He is, he is the go-to man now, Richard. He's world class. He is in every game. You can rely on him to do something. Pep was Pep was spot on what he said um, about him after Watford when the interviewer was gushing about Sterling and Pep said, "Well, yeah, he was okay, but he's been better." And when the interviewer said, "Well, what could he have done better?" Pep said, "Did you see the first half?" And he was spot on. <laughs> Sterling had a bad first half. He was he was poor. He misread runs. He was um, playing bad passes. He was making bad decisions. And then he comes out and get, gets a hat trick. That is something to be massively encouraged by. That isn't a criticism of Sterling. That's a player who has matured to the point that he can go into that dressing room, put forty five pretty bad minutes behind him, and come out and he's on it, and he's the match winner. That is not the Sterling that we had. I would say that's not even the Sterling we had last season, and he was pretty good then. Um, 
he's phenomenal. He's making match-changing contributions week after week after week. He's a, in his own way, maybe not vociferously, but he's a leader on the pitch because the players know they can rely on him. Um, I trust his decision-making every time now. Every single time I would back him to score, I back him to pick the right pass, I back him to make the right movement. Um, and it's not just match-defining moments. Even you look at the West Ham game recently, he started from the bench, City were a little bit turgid in that game, they were struggling to get going. On comes Sterling, along with Bernardo Silva, the game changes instantly. He, he, he lifts the crowd, he lifts the team, changes the way the game's going. And you flip that round, look, you imagine you're a defender knowing that you're having a pretty good game and Raheem Sterling's coming on to have a go at you. Your mood's going to change. It, it, it has to. He's, he's absolutely world-class. He's the, the, the match-defining player in a great, great team. Dan, Richard mentioned one word there uh, that I want to pick up on, movement, because when you when you actually sit down and watch him, it's extraordinary. The, the amount of time that he makes unpredictable movements, and yet they are, in the bigger picture for City, his teammates know exactly where they'll be. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you still get people sort of criticising Sterling, saying he only scores tappings, don't you? As if sort of being on your own in the centre of the goal with an open net time and time again. It's just an accident that, you know... <laughs> and it's really easy to, world- to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't have to be a world-class player to find those pockets of space and stuff like that. And, you know, world-class, as Richard said, he, that's absolutely what he is. There was a... You know, even last season, I um, I didn't really like Sterling playing off the left-hand side and coming on, onto his right foot. I thought he was better going, going on the right, down the outside. I think that's actually his better position now. And I think he's probably more of a threat to um, Leroy Sané's plays in the team than anyone else because I'd rather have him playing on the right and coming inside and making those runs and running with the ball because he you know he puts the fear of God in defenders when he does that and um, and yeah he's just in an absolutely superb form isn't he you know there was you look at the sort of players of the season for City I think Bernardo Silva was the, the best player of the first couple of months of the season and I think since then it's probably between been between him Sterling and Aguero and I would say in the past few weeks I would say Aguero uh, sorry Sterling has been been our best player and you know, as things stand, I would give him the Player of the Year award. What, what do you make of Gareth Southgate's comments this week that he's becoming a good role model? Spot on, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, that interview we did with the the New York Times a few days ago was was fantastic. You know, talking about the the, the racism and uh, that he's had to endure at Chelsea this season and and all that sort of thing. So I think he he's really really matured as a player and as a person over the past um, 12, 12 months or two years. Um, you know, I'm so proud that he plays for our club, and I think he's, he's he comes across as such a great lad, a really intelligent guy, and yeah, he, he's definitely a sort of torchbearer for the, the next generation of English footballers. I think Richard, he will he will be the key when it comes to games like against Watford. I mean, you you, you look at at the last few weeks, Bournemouth did it, Watford did it for for long spells where they just stuck eleven men behind the ball, and, and mm-hmm. City had basically no space to work in and had to pick their way through. Sterling will be key to that. The other thing that I think might be key is the fans now need to be patient with the team because they're, they're going to face this a lot now in the running. Yeah, um, I think that's something that we've got better at. When I just think of like in people around me, I hear less angry voices now when things aren't going City's way or when they're, they're not quite at the best. That's not to say that you don't still hear the sighing and groaning. I think to a point that's that's not a bad thing because there's a part of that. I remember Guardiola at the start of his City career saying that one of the things he wanted more was he wanted more pressure from supporters because it, it makes you feel like a great team. It makes you feel like a big club when people are getting disappointed with the first bad pass because the fans, the performances that you make force the standards higher and the fans start to expect more of you. And when the fans are getting on the back of a team like this, then they know that they're underperforming a little bit. I'm sure they don't need the fans to remind them of that. Um, but I do think it's a more, a generally more patient atmosphere because we've got we've got a proven track record now of we do break of grinding teams results down. Out, yeah. it, it is so rare, it's so incredibly rare that City don't score in a game that you pretty much go to a game thinking... Well, if we're going to get beat today, the opposition's going to have to score at least two or three. Um, and obviously, occasionally that happens. But it, yeah, I think, of course, you have to be patient. It's it's frustrating when you get like time-wasting like Watford did. Um, and I don't blame them for it. The referee should be picking that up, but we've done enough on referees tonight. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think, to be fair, I do, I do think it's something we've got better at just because we know we've had so many last-minute wins in, in recent times that... Um, 
you almost look forward to the so to me when when we're ticking into the 80th minute and we're drawing I start to look forward to the late goal do you know what I mean it's that's, I, a, that's an incredibly arrogant thing to say no, you know? no but, but it's, it's based on facts I'm not saying that I know we'll always get it or I, I'm not saying I don't get nervous but I start to think we've had late goals recently this if, if we get this you know how it's going to feel it doesn't for example winning the game last minute at Schalke did not surprise me it was fantastic and I went absolutely mental. It's no less brilliant for having done it a few times. But I just had a confidence that we could do it. That's what I mean. It's not I'm not necessarily waiting with bated breath for how it's gonna go wrong. I'm thinking how this is gonna go right instead, how they're gonna make the attacking change, how they're gonna keep going at it. That's more what I mean than just expecting the goal. You've changed. You've changed, you know. I'm sorry I'm not a, a nervous wreck anymore. Sorry, David. <laughs> Dan, despite the defensive teams that City have faced, um, it's 61 goals in 18 games in 2019 so far. Um, that's that's not a bad record. It's absolute insanity, isn't it, to be honest, yeah. Um, and what's the, so uh, I think six, they've scored six or more times in a game, seven times this season, if I remember rightly, five or more times, ten times this season which is pretty phenomenal, isn't it, as well? Um, you well know, just you get, just you while, we're on, while we're on the stats, let's, let's throw some more in. Seven, they scored seven against Schalke, which were, made it a 10-2 aggregate win. That's the second ever biggest Champions League knockout win. I mean, I know Schalke aren't the greatest team in the world and they are facing a, a mm. tough time in the Bundesliga this season. They're still a Champions League team. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that, I was just going to come on to that, actually. You get people saying, oh, well, who's the, who have they beaten in these games? You know, people look at, like, Burton Albion, Rotherham or whoever. It's like, all right, fair enough, but nobody else is really doing this to these teams, are they? You know, other teams are having easy games from time to time and, and, and they're not putting six, seven past teams, you know, every couple of weeks. So I, I think it's absolutely remarkable what City are doing, and even more so when you consider, you know, as, as you say, like, you know, they're playing against this low block every week at home, Um you know, I don't think Schalke really knew how to do that uh, the other night, but Watford certainly did, um, and they they were they were quite quite difficult to break down in the end. And you know, they're going to face that a lot um, between now and the end of the season. But you know, going back to your original question, City fans, I've got to be patient with, with them because I get nervous when it's still nil nil. I was pretty nervous at half time of the Watford game, thinking, you know, where we're going to get this goal. In the end, it came from a bit of luck. But you know, City will find a way more often than not. So, you know, just got to have, got to have a bit of faith, really. Just to to Dan's point there about. Um, you know, people say, well, who is City putting these goals past and not everybody's doing it? Dan's absolutely 100% right. Doesn't that just show the standard to which City are now held because of the standards that they've set? When people are no longer that impressed by a 6 or 7 nil win because it is, as far as these things can be, it's routine, what greater compliment could you have than greatness just being normal because it, it, they have they've completely normalized it in the same way that if if Lionel Messi scores 30 goals in a season nobody's going to be talking about it are they because it's just normal that he gets 30 40 50 goals a season same for Cristiano Ronaldo like when you get to a point where insane stats stop surprising you or stop being particularly worthy of of comment beyond a few city fans talking about it and, and enjoying it it's it's just such a huge compliment. It, it's a huge, huge um, reflection of how brilliant City have become in a relatively short space of time under Pep. They, they, this is just what people expect now. It's great. 61 goals in 18 games is an average of just under three and a half goals a game. I think that they've had a couple of one nils recently as well. That's all I'll say <laughs> on, the, on that one. Um, we're gonna we're gonna move on now. This is what Pep Guardiola had to say after the game with Schalke. We start the first 20-25 minutes thinking more in not to lose what we achieve in Germany, and that's why we didn't know exactly what we have to do after the first goal for an excellent pass from from Bernardo, I from Gundogan again. So we scored the first goal, the second, and after. Of course, with the mind of the players, the qualification is almost almost done, and after we play in a good good level. Is that the best performance you've seen from Leroy in a while? No. Nope. <laughs> How did you rate it then? after the first goal? Yes, before no. What did you not like about his performance? He was not aggressive enough the first 20 minutes. I like when he runs his aggressive in goal. It doesn't matter. He loses the ball and go aggressive. He was not. It's the same like Rahim. Scored three goals, fantastic, perfect. But the first half from from Sterling last game was not good. Today was much better. 
but they are young, so we cannot forget. You have 21, 22 years old, and these up and downs that happen. I know it's not easy for Leroy. Last game, he didn't play too much, and the confidence always draw, drop a little bit. I understand. But after 20 minutes, we're outstanding for the goal, the Nassis, the, aggress- the aggressive, and because he's a player like we know exactly his incredible qualities that uh, he has. How much, how much optimism does that fill you with that your attack, your best players aren't actually starting games well, and you're still winning by massive margins? Well, we tried. Uh, so first years together here. But so when, when yesterday I said we are a teenager team, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, we are not going to fight or we are young enough. No. So Vincent Comer is not teenager anymore. So my reflection is was like a club. We are a completely teenager team because the best success in the history is one semi-final, and the second best success in history is two quarterfinals. So that is the best success comparing Madrid with 13 or Barcelona, Liverpool, Bayern Munich or uh, Juventus. They have how many? Six, seven, eight Champions League. Our best success is one semi-final. In that point, I like it. So the teenagers have passion, have desire. You know, they are not scary and they have a good things. And we are going to try to achieve for the second time the one semi-final of the Champions League. So that's why when the people say, no, you have to win, you have to win it. Yeah. But this competition, with the, I don't like too much. The teams who won 80 finals, the last 16 or 20 finals, the day are out. It was a disaster for the season. And that is unfair. It was the first goal of Phil Foden, if I'm not wrong, in the Champions League. Um, he hasn't played much recently, but today he had the chance and it looked like he yeah. took the chance. Um, what's your take on his performance? Well, the people say about Phil Foden, so don't play too much. You have 19 years old, this is the first season with us, so he play a lot of minutes already. The people continue saying he should be alone. Phil Foden is not going to be alone. All the time I will be here, he will close to me because he's an incredible talent player. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the win against Schalke. Richard, it, it was it was a, a funny few comments about Leroy Sane because um, he, he, he just seemed to go straight in on him. Yeah, it's, I mean, he was complimentary though, wasn't he? But, but Guardiola does do this thing. I remember getting a question on Ask the Panel last season um, about does Pep seem to have a thing against Leroy Sané? And it was the first time I'd really noticed that he, he there's two players, I think, that he particularly picks puts up. down before he picks them up again, and it's Sterling and Sané. And I think it's it's not because he's going in on them, but it's to keep that standard, isn't it? These are young players who, and Sané in particular at the moment, because obviously Sterling's consistency, we, we don't need to talk any more about that, but Sané, the consistency isn't quite there at the moment. The talent is. Um, the, the ability to take a game by the scruff of the neck is, but it's not every game, and he's having to pay for that with um, a bit of a spell out of the team at the moment, and so he's having to take his chances when he gets them. And I think that's just a little reminder from Pep that, look, yeah, you've had a great night. Was it a goal and was it two assists? Um, You've had a great night. It probably meant a little bit more to him because of who it was against. And just let's not get too carried away because the key to this is consistency. Um, But you think of the way that Pep's dealt with Sané before, taking him out earlier in the season in what was a, you know, that without being too drastic, if Sané hadn't reacted well to when he was dropped against Newcastle, it could have been curtains for him because it was a pretty testing time for him that he was out of form. It seemed, we don't know for sure, but it seemed his attitude probably wasn't quite where it needed to be. And he's responded to that. And I actually think that Pep must absolutely love working with Leroy Sané because he's got the talent, he's showing it. But like any young player, he just needs... He needs to find that consistency. And clearly, Pep has judged that his way of doing that is just a little a little kick up the arse as well. Maybe he think he's somebody who... And I'm not casting any aspersions on, on Sané's character, but maybe Pepper spotted something in him that too much praise perhaps goes to his head a little bit. I don't know. And so just keep you grounded. Yeah, you were good, but you weren't perfect. And perfection is what you need. But he does then say, he did go on to say, but we understand he's young and this is this is what's going to happen. So I didn't think he went in on him. I thought he was he was very, very fair. I thought it was quite funny, to be fair. Yeah. Um, Dan, I want to ask about his, his comments about... The city being a teenager club in the Champions League as well. Um, do you think? Do you think that's a fair way of describing them? 
I don't know. I can sort of see what he means in that, um, you know, he's always sort of trying to play City down in, in the Champions League a little bit, isn't he? Um, and I think, you know, there is a, an argument to be made that when you get to this this very sort of top level, that a lot of it does come down to psychology and the mentality and that sort of thing and having been there and done it before, which, you know, City don't really have very many, if any, players that have that have got this far, um, that, that have gone as far as winning the Champions League. But, you know, I work with like quite a lot of people who who remember Guardiola from his time in Germany. And the sort of general consensus about him over here is that, um, you know, superb manager, but he talks a lot of shite. And he does, <laughs> doesn't he, really? Like, he, he, he says so much stuff that it just, it's just very disingenuous. It's obviously disingenuous and sort of really see through the way he's saying it as well. And, um I don't think he really fully believes that City aren't ready to win the Champions League. And, you know, it comes from the same school of thought as I've seen a few people saying this week, will City ever get a better chance to win the Champions League than this? It's like, well, yeah, of course they will. They could they could win it any season with, you know, the resources they've got, the players they've got, the manager they've got. I, I just think this mentality thing is a factor, but it's it's overplayed so much that it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. He was uh, he was also pretty defiant about Phil Foden, Richard. He was, uh, you know, he's, he's made it plain that uh, that he feels like Foden's getting enough minutes and he's not going anywhere. Well, I think that's just it's a nice reality check for not that they'll take it, but it's a nice reality check for the people who dig at City not giving Foden chances. We would all love, I, I assume, you know, I speak for the majority of City fans here. We'd all love to see Phil Foden starting these big games, playing 90 minutes, you think you wonder what he could do in, uh, with 90 minutes in a game like that, how great it would be for his development. Actually, Pep Guardiola's track record of develop, developing young players is pretty good. He knows what he's doing. He's got a player there who is perfect for Pep's style of management. Um, and so the most revealing thing is when he says, as long as I'm here, Phil Foden is not going on loan. What more does he need than that? He's, he is getting minutes. He is scoring goals. He's scored in every competition this season, uh, barring the, the Premier League. Um, and that will come at, at some point. He is still very, very young. He has got a lot of very, very good players ahead of him. But the great thing about that is he gets to learn from them. And so when he goes onto the pitch, he's not just taking Guardiola's teaching. He's taking all these guys around him and then... You know his his mentality speaks for itself. He's completely at home, so it's not like he needs to go and develop in that way. He seems incredibly mature, um, with, you know, with his decision making, the way he handles being on the pitch, um, and his, you know, it's not to me so much of his time will come. It's his time is here, and it's just how we how we develop him within that. He's that lad is sensational. There is no need to worry about what time he is getting at City as long as he continues on this sort of trajectory and there's no reason to think that he won't he's going to be a crucial player at City and Pep is going to get the best out of him it's it's, it's as close to nailed on as you can be well, let's let's finish the first part of the show with uh, a, a brief touch on the title race. Uh, we talked last week about about how that now that City are back leading the table they only have to concentrate on their own games and they don't have to look at what Liverpool are doing didn't happen though, did it, Richard? <laughs> yeah, um, if only. And I mean, I was very happy when I saw that Burnley had scored. I didn't have I didn't have eyes on the game, but I was following the score. And yeah, of course, even when Burnley got one back quite late on, and you knew that it was too late for them to realistically mount the um, mount a charge for an equaliser. Of course, you can't not keep your eye on it, can you? It's it's big stuff, and you know that if they lose, then four points with um, with so few games left starts to look like a pretty convincing gap. Uh, so no, you never get, you never quite get rid of those those nerves and that sort of uh, title chase anxiety. But Liverpool do have the chance to go ahead down this weekend because uh, obviously they play in the league and City don't. They do, yeah. I, I mean, I'm in, I'm sort of enjoying this. Um, it sort of feels like you get two matches to sort of really get invested in each weekend, <laughs> doesn't it? And like last weekend, it was great that we won and then we could just sort of sit back and see what Liverpool did. And every weekend, I sort of convince myself that Liverpool are going to drop points and then find myself feeling disappointed when they don't. And I've already convinced myself that, they, that Fulham might get something against them this season. <laughs> don't this don't do it to yourself. Don't, don't do it to yourself. Because <laughs> they're absolute dross, aren't they, Fulham? But, um, you know, stranger things have happened. But yeah, I do expect them to, to nudge ahead of us. Um, this weekend, which you know, it's not um, ideal, really. But you know, having that game in hand in our back pocket, would the game in hand be United? I then? think it. I think it might be. Yeah, yeah would but be, wouldn't it? Yeah, which is not great. But you know, if we beat Swansea this weekend, then FA Cup semi-final weekend against Cardiff will also have to be slotted in somewhere. So somewhere along the line, we're going to end up with two games in hand. 
This is this is starting to feel like a little bit of a hybrid of 2012 with how tight it was with City and United going for the league, mm. and 2014 with City chasing but with games in hand. Yeah, and chasing Liverpool. And chasing yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. Same, um, same pressures. Or completely new pressures, given where the where the bar has been set. I think new pressures because now we're doing it. I mean, you know, you boil it down, and it's the same thing. But obviously now. Like you say, the standards have been raised so high that we're defending a title now, and I do think that will weigh um, in a slightly different way to trying to win your first trophy or trying to reclaim a trophy that you've had a dreadful defence of. Um, but there's also the pressures now that we didn't necessarily have in those years of we've got other competitions to go for. Um, Are they going to do all four, Richard? <laughs> I... Right, if you asked me to put my savings on it, <laughs> I would still bank on no. I would still bet on no. But... I don't think when we say like I say you're going to win the quadruple and you put that title on it it sounds you know the reaction is no it can't be done we've already got one in the bag so we're no longer talking about having to win four trophies because one's done and dusted so now what we're having to do is win three trophies of which we're ahead in the league and there's no reason to think that we can't win it we've got we are the best team in the FA Cup there's no question about that however if United remain in it, then coming up against them will be difficult because they've got that momentum. But they have just lost to Arsenal, and Arsenal are the weakest of the top six teams. So they're not suddenly unbeatable just because they've got this momentum. There's nobody that we can't beat over two legs in the Champions League. And that's not to say that we will. If We might come up against Liverpool again in the quarterfinal. We might get shown up a little bit again. You never know. Should, should stay, say at this stage, uh, for us in the studio, it's Thursday night. So you guys in the future that are listening Sorry. to this after the draw, you know who City have got, but we don't. Yeah. So you might have egg on your face already, Richard. No, but well, we won't have been beat by the time people listen to this. Could have we? Liverpool, though. But point being, right, we're, we're playing for three trophies in which we're in very favourable positions. Apart from the Champions League, we're in a, you know, it's, that's a very open competition. But we are as likely to win it as any of the other best teams in it. Um, and the precedent here is, sorry to mention it, but the, the greatest season really in England, the greatest, the, the crowning achievement in English football history is United's treble in 99. They were in this position, going for the same three trophies City are going for, and it wasn't impossible because they did it. It's very, very hard. There's a reason nobody did it before or since. But when you take the trophy that's already been won out of the equation, City are trying to replicate something that has been done because one of those trophies is already out of the question. So you now boil down to, we're going for a treble of the remaining trophies. And I, I don't think, other than it's not been done before and you have to be super consistent, there isn't a, there isn't a solid reason that they can't do it. It will just be hard. Last season, nobody had ever got 100 points before. Nobody had ever won 18 consecutive games. So, I know what you're going to say. You, say, you heard it here first. Richard Byrne says City are going to win the quadruple. I, I wasn't actually. I was going to throw it to Dan and say, has he convinced you? Uh, not really, no. no. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, like a lot of people are saying... Um, about oh you know is this fixture congestion going to really affect City in the in the title race or in the Champions League and stuff like that and there was a I saw an interesting comment from Paul Scholes recently I know um, we don't like to speak too glowingly about United on this podcast for good reason but he was sort of talking about the '99 um, treble running and saying like you know um, do you think in '99 we we were all sitting there thinking oh god we've got an FA Cup game coming up we better get out of that competition quickly so we can focus on the league and he was just saying how like the the momentum really worked for them that year and just playing games every three days was really healthy for them so you know maybe maybe that could be what propels City towards an unprecedented quadruple this season but I just don't see it unfortunately. Right, well, uh, we'll 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 see how it goes. I'll keep coming back to you on that one throughout the season, Richard. Um, City fans might have been concerned to read reports this week that Pep Guardiola had agreed a deal to go to Juventus at the end of the season. We now know that it isn't true, and it was a classic example of a rumour gathering too much pace without any substance. I've been taking a look at how a story like this one can quickly gather momentum. Pep Guardiola is not going to Juventus. I'm not going to Juventus. I have two more years here and I want to stay here. Except the, the club sacked me and after I'm going home. In fact, it was a pretty damning response from the city manager when he was asked about the rumours after this week's win over Watford. The next two seasons I will be manager for Man City. I want to stay here, maybe longer. And I'm so sorry for Massimiliano Allegri for this kind of comments, but I don't know how the journalists for one guy say one news, you know, and say this kind of things. Everybody asked me this question. He went on to question why he was even asked about the story. The situation is, can you ask me that question? That is the problem. 
why the people ask me if I go to Juventus, where one guy say that, I wake up and say I'm going to go to Juventus. Well, he was the guy that broke the story, I think, to Ronaldo to Juventus, so he had a bit of credibility, so people asked about it because of that. So, now it's 1-1. <laughs> so, he, he make a good shot against Ronaldo, but he missed the shot. I'm not going to go to Juventus next year. Guardiola's frustration comes from how easy it was for incorrect information to start gathering. Goal.com's Sam Lee explains how it can happen. This is something that happens quite a lot in journalism. If there's something that's particularly big or explosive or interesting that's reported abroad or potentially in this country, other newspapers, particularly on the websites, it will say blah, 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 according to reports in Italy or Spain or Germany. As Sam explains, it's important to read the detail of how a story is written, or it can easily be misinterpreted. It's something that not all people understand. So, for example, with this... Guardiola to Juventus story. There was a guy, supposedly with pretty good sources in Italy, who said Pep was going to take over in the summer, and then that was picked up in several places, including the Mirror. So I would have people saying, oh, the Mirror saying that Guardiola's going to Juventus. Of course they weren't. They were saying that somebody else was saying that Pep Guardiola is going to Juventus. Simon Bykowski from the Manchester Evening News tells us how journalists then try to stand up the story. That involves looking at where it's come from and what's been said and then you go off your own information that you've had previously with people who should know and you speak to those kind of people again to try and work out what's happening. In the meantime, the companies that you work for, such as the MEN, may decide that they want to put a version up of the original story that isn't saying the MEN says this, but is saying that is just reporting the the reflection of the original claim. It's that practice that ticked Guardiola off. Sam Lee explains how a story with a single source can cause this sort of problem. He was annoyed that one person, supposedly with good sources close to Juventus, but in this case was wrong, that kind of echoed around the world and, you know, was picked up by a lot of newspapers and websites. But what people need to know is this wasn't the Mirror, for example, reporting that Guardiola's going to Juventus. It was the Mirror reporting that somebody else had said that Guardiola's going to Juventus. When stories like this one are so comprehensively knocked down, there's a tendency for there to be a backlash from fans. As Simon Bykowski explains. You can get a tendency for people to say, why are the media lying to us? Why are the media making stuff up? You're just plucking things out of thin air. And you get the usual tropes about clickbait and attention and dying industries, etc., etc. But, I mean, while I can't speak for every media organisation in the world, because I don't own them yet, unfortunately, I think when you break this story down, you can see sort of both how it came about and that it was covered pretty fairly and sensibly. Simon says it's all about reputations. The media is lots of different people doing lots of different things, but if the same source that has said that Cristiano Ronaldo is going to Juventus has said that Pep Guardiola is going to Juventus, that is obviously something worth listening to, however unlikely it may seem. The story did seem unlikely, but there was a nagging doubt for some fans. While Guardiola has not shown any previous interest in leaving, there was always the worry that he might decide to quit if City were punished by UEFA, FIFA or the Premier League over recent allegations. Investigations are ongoing and the club denies the accusations. Sam Lee thinks the story was very unlikely because it didn't seem to fit the manager's character. I don't think Guardiola's like that. One thing is he always honours a contract, but the other thing is... Think about when he was talking about Mauricio Sarri at Chelsea recently. He was talking about how the fact that he knew he was always comfortable at City because Chiki Vigirastein, Ferran Soriano, they believe in him. I don't know Guardiola personally, but I'm pretty sure that he would want to repay that faith if, in the event, that City are actually punished by various different bodies. So if the story was unlikely, why was it even put to Guardiola? Simon Bykovsky explains. The information I got certainly was that Pep, would be happy to be asked about it after the game to give his version of events and he was asked about it and he did give his version of events and those versions is on the record you can see how the original story came up so i kind of think it was an unlikely story but it was given credibility by some and Guardiola was given full credibility for for his versions. It means that there was a lot of fuss about nothing. Though as Sam Lee says there's a way to make a judgment call on reports like this one. It does happen all the time 
And basically, in terms of advice, I would say, next time this kind of thing happens, look what it says. If it says, according to reports, then you know it might be a little bit woolly. So you can rest easy, City fans. Guardiola is going nowhere. Though perhaps the bonus news story in this week's reports is that the manager let slip he's open to staying longer than his current contract says he will. This is Willie Donicky, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Enjoy. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. A look there at how the Guardiola Juventus story was reported. Uh, Richard, I don't want to get too much into the rights and wrongs of, of, of journalism and football journalism for various reasons, but City fans are often upset about how the club is reported on. Um, why do you think that is? Because. I mean, this isn't just a city thing. Like every club has fans that think that um, it does feel different about City, though. I don't know if it's because I'm in the middle of it all. Well, that's what I think it is. I think when when you're in the middle of something, you see you see it more, don't you? So, for example, take it back to when City were of a different standard. I remember I remember people saying that the media hated City when Keegan was manager. I remember people saying that the press had always had a problem with Keegan because of how it worked or had a problem with Keegan because of how it worked out with England and so City were always in the firing line of the press or when they were doing alright in the Premier League and they finished ninth it was like oh well nobody's noticing City nobody's talking about them it's like actually you take a step back how many mid-table teams are really spoken about now it's just in a different stratosphere I remember growing up when I thought United were the absolute darlings of the media and I had United fan um, friends who would say they talk about how the media hated United all they ever got was criticism I think uh, granted that's not scientific but I think every fan base has this core of supporters that think the world is against them now unfortunately some of the negativity around City at the moment there's no negativity around what City are doing on the pitch nobody can be apart from maybe Stan Collymore nobody can really find a way to get at at what City are doing on the pitch you can't criticise the players you can't criticise the manager but although we all everybody would like to think that they know better and I'm sure some people do there'll be people out there that know a lot better than me on this there are reasons to believe at the moment that City might have done some things that are pretty wrong and that they might need to be punished for and when you're already in a mindset that because you think that financial fair play is designed just to get at City, it wasn't. It was designed, I think there was clearly an element of protecting the elite to protect this brand and the business and the finances that having the same clubs do well in the Champions League and and, and all that, I think there was a protection of that because it's income generating, it's prestigious. Um, but it wasn't designed to stop City, it was designed to stop the situation. But when you're emotionally involved in something, you don't necessarily step back and see it that way, do you? So it feels like it's just City, like it's just a dig at you. You're being stopped. Now, we're a few years down the line since the first financial fair play punishment, which people felt was patently unfair. There's been other issues with UEFA as well. Um, Now there's another one. It's dead easy to say, oh, well, they're just getting at us. And then people start to think that the press reporting on it or daring to be critical is also uh, an exact dig at City. The Guardiola thing, it was a wrong... I know I've got a bit away from the point there, but the Guardiola thing was it was just a wrong story. I don't believe that anybody's put that out because they've got a problem with City. Somebody's either made it up or got a seriously, seriously bad source and it spread like wildfire. But that's just modern news. Should just say on the uh, financial fair play uh, stuff, City deny any yes. a, any wrongdoing and yeah. they, uh, there, there is also an investigation to go. So we don't know how that's going to pan out. Yeah. Um, Dan, I, I, I want to kind of pick up on, on something Richard mentioned in that it's it's been a long time since the takeover now. But this this kind of story, so the city story, is a different beast. It's never been seen before. This sort of this sort of ownership, the the, the kind of the football group model, this level of investment. So is that? I mean, is is there some sort of of argument there to say, well, you know, it's never been done before. We we just like as a collective, members of the media, you know, newspapers, TV, radio, just don't know how to deal with the story because it's it's completely new. Yeah, possibly. Like I think this this part of a. Um... The, the kind of thing that irks me about the way that this um, the City Football Group and this, you know, um, having clubs all around the world is kind of spoken about by many people in football is if it's like this sort of evil empire that is ruining football and nothing like this has ever been done before. Whereas, you know, you look at the way that sort of people talk about like 
the way that United have built their success and Liverpool and stuff like that. And it's all about how smart they were as business people and, and business organisations and stuff like that. So I think City have taken that to another level and people aren't really, people might look back on it in, in years to come and think, well, actually that was that was really clever what they did there. Um, you know, there were other aspects to this, the the way that City's owners have, have done things, um, you know, the way they're alleged to have done things that have, um, that people aren't too, too happy with. And, you know, there, there's been... All, all sorts of accusations flying around, but yeah, I, d- I just think people like people might look back on on this as um, as quite a positive thing in future. But uh, as things stand, people are, are a bit confused by it all, as you say. Do you think as well that that I mean, we've all seen those those sorts of reports. The the Guardiola one this week was a classic example of there are reports that this is happening, and all of a sudden mm. it's, it's it becomes an element of well. You know, they're saying that they're saying that they're saying this, and you're so far removed from the original source that it doesn't really mean anything anymore. We we kind of don't really help ourselves with that as a way we report things, do we? No, not at all. I mean, I work for a company that has absolutely no qualms about you know using the word reportedly um, very very liberally, and um, you know we 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 often sort of rewrite articles that have that have emerged elsewhere. You know, I think the Guardiola to Juventus story came from Tutto Sport in Italy initially, and then a few media organisations picked up on it um, over here, and it sort of spread like wildfire with without any real substance. But you know, as a as a football fan and as a football reporter, I don't really have any issue with kind of um, gossip and stuff like that. I think it's quite fun, and I think it's you know it get, it gets clicks. It sells newspapers. You know, as long as you're just saying, well, you know, we're not sure if this is true, but this is what this these people are saying. You know, Real Madrid, uh, Real Madrid are going to sign Neymar or something like that. I think that's that's fine, really. You know, it's not really upsetting anybody, is it? If if you sort of just coming up with transfer rumors and things like that. Well, let us know what you think. Get in touch with us uh, about uh, the way City are uh, reported on, in your opinion. Tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. We do like to hear your thoughts, so uh, so do get in touch. Uh, but for now, we're going to move on and uh, have a look at Saturday's game at Swansea in the FA Cup. Richard, you, you okay? We'll start with you because you seem to, you know, you've you've got a pretty good case for for City winning all all four competitions. Um, it feels like this one is actually really opening up for City, barring maybe United there. Yeah, massively. Um, it's at the point now where I think City should win this competition. Um, it, you know, excluding other factors of fixture congestion and just having to consistently win so many games. Um, City are the best team in this because once you remove United, who you know City are still better than. There's there's no question about that. Once you remove them, you're down to mid-table Premier League teams and a couple of non-Premier League teams. Now, one of those Premier League teams is Palace, and they've already beaten us this season. Um, one of them is Wolves. They held us to a draw. They've beaten Spurs. They've been very unlucky not to beat Chelsea. So um, they've beaten Liverpool in the cup, um, and who knows? They might put United out. So if they, you know, there's nothing to be taken for granted. Suddenly, I'm a lot more nervous about Wolves in this competition than I am United now. You know, <laughs> they would, it would be a hard game. I've no doubt about that. But once you, if if City beats Swansea, and we know they should do, but equally. We know they got beat at Wigan last year, so should do counts for nothing until it's done. Um, if you get into Wembley against these teams that don't have the experience of it in the same way that City do, you know City's record at Wembley is extremely impressive. Um, it looks extremely, extremely favourable for City because they've just got the experience of doing it that these clubs don't have. There's a reason that cup finals, when a top team comes up against a mid-table team, there's a reason that it tends to go in favour of the big team. You know, the biggest shock that we can all remember in recent years was Wigan beating City. Um, <laughs> in the final. In the final. You know, if you get into Wembley, there's a reason that it it usually, usually goes with the favourite. Um, and so, yeah, I think that this... City have got to be looking at this as a, a, a real... Well, I think they've got to be disappointed from this point if they don't win the FA Cup. I think they should win it. Um, but that said, I won't take anything for granted because shocks do happen but if you get past Swansea Wembley City stages Dan it's interesting that at this stage as well because you know I I, maybe it's the old typical City fan in me that that just kind of looks at it in this way but you know a mid-table championship team with nothing else to play for this season (laughs) against against the the now Premier League leaders got 100 points last year you feel like if you know if any team is going to be really up for it this weekend Swansea are going to give it a damn good go aren't they 
Well, yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, they've had a pretty good cup run so far. Swansea, um, they've got that lad, Daniel James, who's quite a good player, who scored a really good goal for them in the last round. So he's one to be wary of as well. Um, but, you know, the, the league form has been pretty poor lately, as as, uh, as far as I know. I think the sort of lower mid-table in the Championship aren't. They'd lost 3-0 away at QPR in midweek. Um, I don't know if you saw that penalty that um, former City Academy player, Bursat Salina, it's I'd say so missed, good. but he, did, he never really sort of hit it at goal at all, really. I felt was, really sorry. He slipped. I felt sorry for him. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's on paper, it looks like easy pickings, this one. You never know in the cup, you know. You know, we could sit here and spout cliches about that all day, really, couldn't we? But um, as Richard says, you'd be, you'd be massively disappointed if they, if they messed this one up. Are the dangers in this one more what City don't do? So, like complacency, for instance, whereas... You think about if City turn up and do what they do well, they'll they'll absolutely eviscerate Swansea. But if they if they don't do it, then there's a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're they're helped massively by the fact that there's an international break after this now, so they're not going to have in the back of their minds, oh, we've got a Champions League game on Wednesday, uh, we better save ourselves for that, or you know, Premier League game even to come the following week that they're worried about. You know, there's there's a two week break now where all right, a lot of them are going to go away and play for the countries, but I don't think at this stage of the season players are sort of too invested in their their international um the international stuff so you'd like to think that they will just put all the all the focus on on let's just win this game get through to the semi-final you know play a full strength team and and get the job done with with no uh, problems really well sam lee scored as a winner on last week's podcast with his correct 3-1 prediction for the game with watford and that takes the total on our charity bet to 828 pounds for the season each member of the team's getting a 10 pound correct score single on city's games with william hill and the winnings are going to the christie a cancer hospital in manchester uh so for swansea away dan i'm gonna uh, gonna kick things off with you what are you going for 2-0 City, I reckon. 2-0 is uh, 5-1, so £50. Richard? Uh, I'm going a little bit more confident than that. I'm going City to win 4-0. 4-0 is uh, £75, so uh, it's 15-2. Uh, and I've gone for a 3-0, nice uh, nice in the middle there. So as long as Swansea get the early goal, then that's all of us <laughs> out of it. 11-2 uh, for me and £55. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And to get more information about responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. <laughs> The Blue Moon Podcast Best Bits. When things are tough and things are very difficult, you know, people generally, most people don't want to know. They, they leave things to, they're happy to leave things to you. When City were in that real problem in 1998, a lot of people were scared. You know, the fans were angry. It was a very volatile situation. And uh, I, I had a very, very free hand. I was given a, a free hand and it, it, was, it was fantastic. To, and that enabled me to do, uh, with, with some very good, very good colleagues, uh, to build up a team of people and do a lot you know, very, very quickly. And I think it was, a, it was a great four or five years. As we started to get successful, of course, um, then other people start to want to get more more active. And there were differences of views about some key things, about management, certainly about buying players. I thought we were beginning to throw money around that we shouldn't have been. There were one or two signings that I won't go into specifically, but you'll probably know which ones they were, which I disagreed with strongly, and I, and I proved to be right. Um, and in the end, I felt that the the sort of uh, strong role I'd been able to play over four or five years was becoming dissipated. Um, you know, I wasn't a major shareholder. I was a shareholder, but not a major shareholder. Um, and in the end, of course, the people who provide the money and uh, hold the shares, uh, you know, they have the final say. And that 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 well became that whole situation became much less straightforward, much more mixed. And uh, I wasn't happy with it. So I very well, you can imagine how reluctantly I'm having had a wonderful time with my club that I love so much to step away wasn't easy, but I wasn't prepared to compromise on things like that. Hi, this is David Bernstein and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Hear the full interview on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Time for Ask the Panel. You can get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email through the website bluemoonpodcast.com or you can get us on our brand new Instagram page. Just uh, search for Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, first up is Catherine on Twitter. She asks, does the contract extensions for players like Bernardo Silva and Amrick Laporte suggest that Guardiola could stay longer than his current contract says, Richard? I, I think it does a little bit. I mean, it's clearly sensible planning by City. There's two ways you can look at it. City are planning beyond Pep. They want the consistency of knowing that the top players are still going to be there beyond him. Um, but I, I think there's a point to that, especially when you couple it with what he said in response to the... Um, I was going to say, he, he let Juventus. it slip a bit, didn't he? Yeah, he, he suggested that he might stay beyond his time. He's already committed to more years than he's done at any other club. 
Um, he's clearly happy with the setup at City. It clearly works for him. He's got so much power and responsibility, but, um, you know... Still... Either that or there's a hostage situation well, somewhere yeah. and, he's, and he's not allowed out. Yeah, well, I'd be fine with that, to be fair. Um, <laughs> he's... I, so I, I think there might be a point in that. I think if he's... I, I'm working on the assumption that five years will be his tops. Um, but I think that's more just because it's more than he's done anywhere. So it seems a bit greedy to expect anything beyond anything beyond that. But Be greedy, the, go for it. These are, well, okay. These, these are players that he loves. They, um, you know, he's, he's effusive every time he speaks about them. He's said about Bernardo, much like he said about Foden the other day, he said, you know, as as long as I am here, Bernardo will be with me. So sticking him on a contract till 2025 when, you know, there's no need to give him a new contract at this point. It's not like we're in danger of losing him anytime soon. It's not running it down. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it's indicative of Pep thinking beyond just the time he's got here. Although, obviously, contract negotiations are a little bit above his head. You'd assume that it wouldn't go, it wouldn't necessarily go ahead without his, with him having no input at all. Dan, does it, does it maybe shine a different light when you look at maybe Sane and Gundogan's contracts? Um, I don't think so, no. I mean, I, the, the, the word on the street about Sane at the moment is that he, he is going to sign one quite soon, isn't it? Or, or at least they're sort of making a bit of progress. Well, no, knowing um, our look, what will happen is we'll record this now and then he'll sign it in the morning. That's how it tends to work. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, if, if he has done, then you can thank us for that. Yeah, I think Jack Gorn had a story in the mail yesterday when he said that apparently it was his mum that was sort of making things a little bit difficult. Um, so hopefully she'll uh, she'll back down and he'll sign a new contract. With regards to Gundogan, I think it's the case with him where he's 28 now, isn't he? Um, he's probably looking at his role in City's team and thinking he's not a guaranteed starter. Is there a club that he could go to where he would be a guaranteed starter? I think he's been brilliant in recent weeks, Gundogan, but I've not been entirely convinced with him over the past couple of seasons. So I think um, you know I could sort of understand him not wanting to commit and, and perhaps uh, assess his options elsewhere. And finally, Harry on uh, our brand new Instagram page uh, has asked us if you could win only one of the Premier League or the Champions League, which one would it be and why? Richard, we already know you think they're going to win all four, but if you had to pick between one of those two, which would it be? Yeah, I'm, I'm mentally very much not making that choice. But, um, <laughs> the Premier League, because I want to win the Champions League. I do. I, I dearly want to win it because I want I want that experience. It would be a fantastic day out, although judging by the ticket prices that have been released this week, one would have to remortgage. Um <laughs> But it, it would be it would be a fantastic experience. It would complete the set. You know, we've all been there for for cup wins. To say we were there for the first Champions League one, it'd be magnificent. However, what I'm really want for City is for them to be the best. So, in the same reason that the Premier League means more than the FA Cup or uh, means more than the League Cup, um, it's a bigger test because. And you know, I've made this point before. You play all of your peers. You don't get a lucky draw. You are guaranteed injuries through the season. You're guaranteed suspensions just like your opponents are, just like your rivals in the title bid are. You are guaranteed at some point to come up against a team in great form or to come up against a team in terrible form. You get shocks across the season. You have to manage different situations. Everybody plays everybody. That doesn't necessarily happen. Well, no, not necessarily. It doesn't happen at all in the Champions League. You can get more favourable group draws that, okay, you earn them by where you finish. You can get more favourable um, knockout draws. You know, our last 16 game, we might be out now if we'd drawn Barcelona um, or a better place second team. Forgive me, I can't remember who finished second in each group, but there were certainly better ones than Schalke. Um, so you are reliant on the look of the draw, just like we might have been out of the FA Cup if withdrawn United or Liverpool or Chelsea you know you, you do rely a little bit on luck and that's not to demean the Champions League it's a fantastic competition but but it is just a knockout competition yeah I, I'm not sure the prestige necessarily matches up to what is actually required to win it because some fairly average teams have won it Liverpool 2005 Chelsea 2012 they were mid-table teams uh, well that's stretching the point. Chelsea weren't far off. Liverpool clearly weren't mid-table. But they weren't the best teams in Europe. Your league, to win it, you have to be the best team in your country. And some great teams, City, have never won it. So <laughs> I, can you believe that? I, uh, Dan, if you had to pick, I'm assuming pretty much the same, maybe? Yeah, I mean, in this season in particular, I would say the Premier League, partly because I think retaining the, the league title will be such a huge step forward for City's status as a club. Um, secondly, because I really don't want Liverpool to ever win the Premier League <laughs> title while I'm alive. That, that's a, another huge motivation for me. Um, you know, I think Richard's right about the, the Champions League. And another thing with, with the sort of um, Real Madrid's, Barcelona's, Bayern Munich's, Juventus's of this world is that 
the the Champions League is seen as the pinnacle to them because their leagues are so uncompetitive. And I love the fact that the Premier League is such a big deal. And and you know, there's you know, six teams could realistically win it every season. Um, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. But you know, uh, there's there's all these big clubs going for it. So I think that's um, that makes the winning the Premier League such a huge achievement as well. And as I touched on earlier as well, all this stuff about this being City's best chance to win it is absolute nonsense unless we get banned from the Champions League permanently or the world ends. <laughs> it's still going to be there next year and the year after, isn't it? You know, If we don't win it this year, we'll just get another chance to win it next year. It's fine, but I, I really want us to retain the Premier League. Right, well, time has caught up with us, I'm afraid, and that's the end of this week's show. Thank you to my two guests, Richard Burns. Thank you very much. And Dan Burke. Thank you. And if you want to hear some more of us talking about City and we're talking all about the 2011 FA Cup winning campaign, then that's our thank you for Patreon backers of $2 a month or more this week. Check out patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast for more details. You'll also get for $2 a month blogs by uh, me and Richard. Richard, what's uh, you got anything going up soon? Are you, uh, are you brewing anything at the moment? Yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, I've noticed in recent weeks is we've, we've had a spate or a group of players this season who uh, have been if not um, been scapegoated, have been had doubts raised about them. Uh, I think Gundogan, Zinchenko, Danilo, all of them, when they've been given a run in the team, have really stepped up. They look completely at home. Uh, and hopefully our Patreon backers will agree there's a decent article to be written in that. Hopefully they, yeah, they will do indeed. <laughs> if you want to find out more, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. We'll be back next week to keep you company on the international breaks. Until then, it's goodbye from us. See you then. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast do you echo more in a room if you're taller um because why, you, why, why would i because you're closer to a ceiling and a ceiling is a extra hard surface that the sound might re- <laughs> might echo off uh, I've never thought about it, to be honest. The room I was in last time didn't have any carpet, so I think that was the main reason for the echo. Okay. I think you'd have to speak upwards, though, wouldn't you? So. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, probably. <laughs>